Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode number 147. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with the endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so I'm really, really excited about today's podcast episode. Today I am interviewing Dr. Brianne Grogan and Dr. Brie is a pelvic floor physical therapist and she runs Femfusion and Vibrant Pelvic Health. And she works with people with pelvic floor disorders like prolapse and hypertonic pelvic floors and pelvic pain um, through her courses and her free resources like her YouTube platform um, to help people recover, to help people work out safely and to move their bodies safely even when they have these pelvic floor disorders whilst also healing them. And I really wanted her on the show, as you can hear in the interview, because I have so many people ask me, like, what's the best exercises to do? And I want to know what the best exercises are to do, because there's just varying information out there, even from like the physical therapy, the physiotherapist that I see personally, in comparison to what I'm told on the podcast. So I really wanted to have a interview that wasn't actually about physiotherapy in itself but more actually like how do we work out how do we exercise because you know I'm sure many of you listening want to exercise to feel good like in your mind but in your body to feel confident in your body and personally I stopped exercising um how I normally would exercise last year I used to do a lot of like pilates and kind of like I don't know what you'd call them, but like body weight exercises and resistance training and things like that. Um, And I was just really worried about my pelvic floor. So I stopped and it really took a toll on my confidence. Um, And so I'm getting back into it now. And so I really wanted to have that discussion with Dr. Bree to be like, how do we do this safely? How do we like work out our booty and still have good pelvic floor health? So That's what today's episode is about. I really hope you find it as useful and informative as I did. I found it absolutely fascinating. And before we get to the episode, I have two questions for you guys. Um, If you're on my newsletter list, you've already had this question, but I'm really stuck. So I did a poll last week. I want to run a free um, endo belly challenge and I have been told and advised by tutors and, you know, coaches who have been doing this for years and years and years that the challenge should be five days. My original idea was that it was a four week challenge where you guys get one email a week. So you get four emails on a month, you know, one email every Monday of that month. Um, and it has one action in and some education to help you take the first steps to tackling and alleviating your endo belly and identifying your root causes. And 
you know, I don't expect us to be able to be bloat free by the end of five days. And I don't expect you guys to be able to do all of the actions in five days, but apparently five day challenges are much more effective and people don't always last and see through the month long challenges. So I want to make sure that I give you information that you're going to be able to read and you're not going to kind of lose motivation or get busy. If you know that you're committing to the five days, it's sort of like, right, it's just, it's just five days. I can read these emails, but equally it's unrealistic for me to create a five day endo belly challenge and expect you to fit it all in into five days. So if it was a five day version, it would be, you would implement those changes across a month but you would get all of the information across that week that week, so you can prepare and then take it at your own pace. So I did a poll on Instagram and it was literally 50-50 and hundreds of people voted and it was literally 50-50. So if you have a strong preference, please email me or DM me because I can't make a decision. Um, so yeah, I'd love your opinion. The second question I have is, I keep thinking about doing a standalone nutrition for endo workshop, actually two. So there would be a foundation and an, and an advanced and there'd be like two hours long each. And I just, I keep thinking about it. It keeps coming up on my radar. And so I was just wondering if anyone would be interested in me doing that rather than me making it and no one being needing it or wanting it so if that is something you would like please just dm me on instagram at this underscore endo life or email me and just say yes um and that just gives me a bit of an overview of whether it is worth me you know making it i'd love to know so anyway i will now let you get to the podcast episode i hope you really enjoy this week's guest Hi, Brianne. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I just told you that I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for forever. So I'm just so happy we can do this. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. I appreciate it. So for anyone, I mean, I've been following your work for a long time. As I said, I came across your work through Dr. Jessica Drummond, who I think we've both done training with. Am I right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, but for anyone who is new to your work, would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, your work and how you came to work in pelvic health? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a physical therapist, a doctor of physical therapy, and I graduated from physical therapy school in uh, America, in Forest Grove, Oregon, in 2006. And I actually began my work working with the geriatric population. So working in a skilled nursing facility with mm. people who are recovering from hip replacements and that kind of thing. And I, very quickly, I actually decided that really wasn't for me. And part of the reason I decided to switch was I became pregnant with my son. And I just really thought, now's the time. I, I want to make a change. I want to go into pelvic floor physical therapy, you know, women's health physical therapy and work with other women who are pregnant, who are postpartum, uh, or, you know, just all sorts of pelvic floor issues that I'd kind of been interested in, but never really took that leap until I got pregnant. So I decided to change track at that point. And at after I had my baby, I actually developed my own pelvic health issues. I developed some prolapse and I was able to really, really, um, I'm, I'm glad that I did honestly, because I was able to have so much more compassion for women who were going through this stuff. And what, the population that, that I ended up working with was about split kind of 50, 50 between women with prolapse and bladder leakage issues. And then the other group was women with pelvic pain. So I saw a lot of people with interstitial cystitis and endometriosis and vaginismus and all sorts of pelvic pain issues and, and worked with them in clinic. And one of my best favorite, uh, I guess favorite, I should say success stories and just like amazing moments of my life was when one of my patients who had severe vaginismus and she was not able to have sex with her husband, but she came back to me a year after our treatment together with her baby. And she was like, because oh. of this work together, I was able to have a baby. Like here, here's my baby. Like we That's did this incredible. together. It was, I mean, it gives me chills even just mm. telling the story. So, um, it was an, it was an amazing, beautiful moment. And so that was 14 years ago though. Wow. And so, so much has changed since then. I mean, not only in the, in our knowledge, in the field of 
pelvic floor physical therapy and awareness of pelvic floor physical therapy. Like, thank goodness that's really expanding Mm -hmm. now. More people know about it. Uh, Still not enough people know about it, but more people do. And then just on a personal level, a lot has changed for me, whereas I no longer work in a clinical setting. I don't, I don't work one-on-one with patients anymore. I work completely online. And so part of that is because we moved halfway across the world <laughs> and uh, it was a little harder to work clinically here where I live now. Um, but I really wanted to reach more people and awareness and spreading awareness is really important to me. And I knew that one way to do that would be to just sort of start opening up and sharing things on online and on YouTube of all places. <laughs> so after all of that schooling, I became a YouTuber. My parents are so proud. <laughs> that's what but the kids are doing these days. <laughs> I know. That's what the kids are doing. And so um, that's kind of where I am today. That's a short history of, of me. And um, can you tell us a bit about like Femme Fusion, you know, as at, at the end of um, the interview, I'll, I'll ask you to share like where people can find the info, but what are your offerings at Femme Fusion? Oh yeah. So Femme Fusion is interesting. The name Femme Fusion Fitness, it's from a fitness class that I actually started back when I was still in Oregon practicing clinically, and I wanted to make pelvic floor fitness fun. Mm -hmm. And so I fused together a combination of African dance and Latin dance and belly dance and squats and bar and Pilates and yoga, like this really fun class. (laughs) It was so fun. And I integrated the pelvic floor into the whole thing. Um, So that's where the name Femfusion Fitness even comes from, although I'm no longer doing those classes, which you know, honestly, I kind of burnt out on choreographing them and teaching them and all of that. Um, so now my offerings are no longer the, the classes they've evolved into my, um, my, my programs, which is now part of Femme Fusion Fitness, which I can still be found on femfusionfitness.com, but also vibrantpelvichealth.com, partially because I wanted to, I'm, I'm very slowly kind of experimenting with transitioning away from the name, you know, only using the name and the words Femme Fusion Fitness, because my work is actually not just for women. I really want to make pelvic floor awareness kind of inclusive for everybody. Um, You know, all, any human being, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of men actually um, use my programs too. So my programs include overcome pelvic pain. I have a version for women um, or people with uterus, and I have a version for men. And then I have a program called Lift, which is for prolapse uh, relief. So those are my main programs right now. Great. And then you have a heap of videos on YouTube. (laughs) Like I totally recommend everyone checks out your YouTube because there's so many. It's awesome. I love it. I have seven, more than 700 videos (gasps) on YouTube. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's dedication. That is incredible. I've been doing this for a very long time, but it's been it's been fun. Such a such journey. And if you watch some of my older videos, oh my gosh, I cannot uh, guarantee them at all. They're terrible <laughs> as far as like the recording quality and and all of that. That's amazing, though. Wow, what a collection. Okay, so there you go, everyone. Seven hundred videos to to choose from. <laughs> um, so obviously, you said you've you've worked with a lot of people with endometriosis and vaginismus and IC, and those are kind of the areas that I really want to zoom in on um, today because I mean everyone who's listening has endometriosis and the clients I work with have endometriosis but they often have interstitial cystitis um, and or vaginismus as well or borderline vaginismus you know they have like pain with penetration they have tightening but it might not be full on vaginismus by that point mm-hmm. um, so I was wondering what kind of pelvic floor issues do you commonly see? Because I've had a couple of pelvic floor um, uh, physios come on here in the past, but, you know, listeners might have not listened to them. You might have a different perspective. So I was just wondering what you tend to see in this community. In the community of endometriosis and IC and pain, like yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely a lot of pain with sex. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of intimacy issues there and a lot of fear, a lot of, uh, I always like to look beyond the pelvic floor. So definitely I see musculoskeletal things going on concurrently, you know, low back pain is actually mm-hmm. huge. Um, actually I, I pulled up a, a little 
a little some words here that I wanted to read because it's very very common to have uh, low back pain. Uh, one study showed that seventy eight percent of women with low back pain also have pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow. Um, specifically urinary incontinence here, but you know, all types of pelvic floor dysfunction. And then more recently, a group of Canadian researchers found that 95.3 of study participants, and this is regarding back pain, were found to have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. More specifically, 71% had pelvic floor muscle tenderness, 66% had pelvic floor weakness, and 41% were found to have pelvic organ prolapse. So it's, it's very, very common to have back pain or, or just pelvic girdle pain mm -hmm. when there is endometriosis, IC, etc. But beyond the musculoskeletal component, there's often a lot of digestive distress, which can lead to, you know, issues with constipation or diarrhea. Um, hemorrhoids can be involved then. Like there's just this big sequela of, of things that can be going on, um, generalized inflammation. And then when you have gut issues, so often your mental health is impacted as well. Yeah. And then of yeah. course the pain and the the fear and, and some of the emotions that go on because of really the traumatic experience of having this pain. And, and so often it's unpredictable when there's IC or endometriosis, there's sort of highs and lows. And there's, there's so much emotion that goes with that. Um, and the fallout that can come along with it too, um, as far as relationships and again, intimate life and all of that, that can lead to a lot of emotional stress, which can lead to more pain. So Honestly, there's just so much to that. So much to that yeah. question. There's a lot to unpack there. It's yeah. a big issue. Of course. And and I mean, from in terms of like the pelvic floor itself, I mean, we hear a lot about a tight pelvic floor or a weak pelvic floor. Yeah. Um and we're, you know, often, I mean, not so much now, but in the nineties, we were told like, you know, do like Kegel exercises and things. But, um, my, from most of the people that I've spoken to physio wise, they tend to see, um, a tight pelvic floor or hypertonic yeah. pelvic floor in people yeah. with endometriosis. Is that the same for you? Do you see that a lot? Yeah, absolutely. 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 In fact, I tend to really try to avoid blanket statements and kind of blanket recommendations for every person because everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. But I like to say that almost everybody, whatever issue you're dealing with, endometriosis, I see um, even prolapse and bladder leakage, things like that, which I know we're not really talking about today, but almost everybody can benefit from releasing and relaxing the pelvic floor first because most people are actually overly tight and really shouldn't be starting off with Kegel exercises. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the changes that we've seen in the field of physical therapy over the last you know, time since I was starting out in pelvic floor physical therapy is you know, we were really trained as physios to evaluate the patient and, and only give them strengthening exercises if they were ready for it. And we were trained how to do an internal examination to see what the status of their muscles were. But I will say that more often than not, the goal was always to, you know, go toward kegels and often to start people with kegels. And maybe, I just don't think we were trained quite as much as we are now mm -hmm. to realize how often people actually hold way too much tension and way too much tightness in the pelvic floor. And kegels really should not be the first line for, for a lot of people, you need to focus on relaxing. And the, the pain and stress reflexively causes those muscles to contract anyway. And yeah. so one of the first muscles in the body to reflexively automatically contract to emotional stress and also pain, it, it's called the red light reflex, is your, is your pelvic floor. The muscles actually tighten up and your body kind of like clenches in this pattern where your pelvic floor tightens, your abdominals tighten, your hip flexors fire, and everything just kind of curls up and tightens. And that's not something we're consciously aware of a lot of the time, but especially with pain conditions, that's going to happen. And then with stress, it makes them tighten up even more. So my long-winded way of saying, yes, <laughs> pelvic yeah. floor tension is a really, really common issue with endo and IC. That makes so, yeah, it makes so much sense to me. And really what's really interesting is that um i i had a car accident years ago now um probably 12 years ago and i i broke my hips my um sacrum my pelvis my pubic ramar and now 
I still have like post-traumatic stress from it. Um, and so I'm not great in cars. And um, when I was in cars a lot last, uh, I don't know, two years ago, um, it started like the, the stress started getting worse. And I would notice like whenever I, I mean, I was stressed from the moment I would get in the car, but as we were like kind of turning a corner or passing like a junction, my pelvic floor would just like, I would feel like a rigid wall, like go up, you know, the whole area would tense. And it was so interesting. I think it was this kind of double response of like this natural response when you're in pain, but also this psychological response of like, I need to protect that area because last time you were in, last time you were in a car accident, all of this got damaged. Um, and I'm just now really aware of it. Like it made me really notice that, oh, every time I'm stressed, like my pelvic floor, like really tightens. Exactly. I recently actually uh, recorded a podcast episode of my own called something along, I'm I'm going, going to release it called something along the lines of the body can't keep secrets. Like the body tells on us Mm. because it is the canary in the coal mine. It is the thing, your body is the thing that can often tell us um, when we're stressed or, or what we're feeling, even if we're not consciously aware of it. Like even though you're not necessarily consciously thinking of those of your car accident, it's still held. The emotions are still held in your body mm-hmm. and it expresses in that way. So that's thanks for sharing that story. I think that's a great example of how the body does it does tell on us, even if we aren't even consciously aware of the stress and the reactions that we still hold in our muscles and in our, in our tissues. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to listen to that episode. It sounds sounds really interesting. Um, so what do you have an approach? Obviously, you say, you know, you tailor everything to the individual. Um, but are there areas that um, you prioritize that if we're working on our own or, you know, um, we're working through your program or another program or we're working with like a pelvic floor physio are there kind of priority areas that we should be focusing on or you know does that does that make sense do you have like a a particular approach yeah yeah for sure i mean basically relax and release relax and release Mm -hmm. is the first step and like i said i think it can be helpful for honestly for almost everybody to focus on that first but specifically with pain issues um, focusing on relaxing and releasing the pelvic floor muscles and all of the surrounding. Because again, the pelvic floor does not exist in isolation. It really, the fascial connections are throughout the entire body, but mm-hmm. you really need to focus more than just, you know, just isolating the pelvic floor muscles and relaxing them. It's also about all of the hip muscles, the glutes, the abdominals, the back muscles, all of those muscles, relaxing and releasing, letting them go. And then the other key is, down training, um, down regulating the nervous system, which tends to get so amped up. And so one great way to do that is through the breath. And I'm sure that you, you know, you, you know about this, I'm sure you've talked about it, but breath work practices to really calm the nervous system is absolutely key for people who are getting started. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any, um, particular breath patterns that, that you like? Yeah. I mean, I definitely encourage people to always lengthen the exhalation and you can definitely, you know, you can double it. You can do, you can start with less than doubling it if that feels like too long of an exhalation at first. But what I find is that when people are starting to do breath work practices and, you know, inhaling down into their pelvic floor, because the other key here is that a lot of people do breathe up high in their neck and shoulders and, and upper chest. And the idea is to get them out of their neck and shoulders and to really breathe down into the, into the ribs, into the belly, into the mm-hmm. pelvic floor. And so training people to do that style of breathing in itself can be hard because especially when people are in pain, the breathing does tend to be quite shallow and high. But when that happens, your diaphragm gets kind of stuck and rigid and your diaphragm and your pelvic floor work together. And so when your breathing diaphragm is stuck and rigid, your pelvic floor is really stuck and rigid too. And so that's one one reason to kind of get that breathing down. Um, But the problem is that when people start doing that, if it's not the natural way for them, if if they tend to breathe the other way, then sometimes people can really, it can make them feel like they're really struggling with their breath. They can feel actually bad doing Mm -hmm. the breathing this Mm -hmm. in this style that's actually ultimately better for you. 
But if you find that it's very challenging to breathe down into your belly, into your ribs, your pelvic floor, um, I really encourage you to slow it down and make the breaths even gentler, even slower, even gentler, because people can kind of overdo it and be almost like gasping, <gasps> you know, yeah. and, and that can just make it make things even worse. And so slower, gentler breathing, and then just lengthening the exhalation even more. Okay. Lovely. And I, um, so I did another program. Um, I didn't, I haven't finished it. Um, because I'm doing C by treatment. It was just a lot in one go. That's um, a lot. Yes. Yeah. But they were teaching, um, about really expanding the ribs. So it was part of like the physio exercises they were teaching and how to like exercise with, um, proper form for your pelvic floor and core. And they were teaching to sort of breathe first into your lungs so that your ribs expand out and up like out to side and out to the front and back and up and then kind of allowing that to then expand your belly afterwards so your kind of lungs should feel first and then your belly and then your belly empties first and then your lungs empty next and it was sort of a, a breathing technique that you were supposed to use in conjunction with the exercises is that um, do you recognize that kind of pattern? Is that what you yeah. do? Cause there's a lot yeah. of stuff about deep breathe deep into your belly, but this was the first time someone said, no, breathe into your lungs deeply first, make sure they expand and then your belly will expand following. Yeah. You know, there's different ways to teach it. And I think one thing that can happen is we can get so in our heads that it can mm -hmm. become even more stressful. And so I, I honestly think whatever, instruction technique works for you to really think of it as a 300 and say, I call it 360 degree core breathing. Mm -hmm. So the idea being that whether you want to think about breathing down into your belly, because other teachers teach to breathe down into your belly, let your belly expand, your lower ribs expand, and then your, and then fill to the top of your lungs and then empty in reverse, empty the top of your lungs, empty your ribs, and then empty your belly. Like there's different ways to teach it. And I think the main idea is just to get, to get folks to think about expanding all around, like you were saying, expanding those side ribs, expanding even into your back body, your back ribs. Yeah. But again, doing so in a gentle way where you're not then like, you know, having to expand so much that it's stressing you out. Yeah. So I just think it's this, it's a balance and mm -hmm. people are going to feel it in different ways and they're going to resonate with different styles of instruction. But I think it can be most helpful to start lying down on your back. Uh, for many people, that's kind of a relaxing way to do it and maybe place your hand on your side ribs or or this, even the sternum and just feel everything expand rather than breathing up high in your neck, expanding all around down low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's perfect. That's really helpful because I found it very tricky to be coordinating these movements and yeah. breathing in this particular way. Um, but now I, I generally, I think about that style of breathing every day. I, I actually do it when I'm meditating. I do it whilst I'm working. I, I'll, checking with myself a couple of times a day and I'll, I'll use that style of breathing and it it does really help actually but um it was quite a lot to try and take in in at the same time as the movements um so it's just interesting to hear your perspective about not going kind of too too obsessive about it because we can stress ourselves out trying to heal we do and you know i'm part of the i'm part of the problem i know that i have my own sets of instructions that i give people about breathing and this and that because you know, us therapists, we want to, we want to give people, we want to paint the complete picture for people who want to learn it and we want to keep them safe. But I think that it can just lead to overthinking. And in fact, in one of my communities that I run for my lift program, one of the women was saying that she had gotten way too in her head about all of the details and it ended up leading to a whole bunch of pelvic pain. She, she found wow. her muscles clenching up her SI joint, completely freezing up. And it wasn't until she realized that she had been overthinking and stressing about everything. And she just needed to relax a little bit more. And she finally was able to unwind those muscles and get major relief. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> we really can get to in our head. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant balancing act. I find it the same for my work. You know, I mm -hmm. want to provide 
people with all of the information so that they have the information but it's also how do you do that in a way that is not overwhelming so um yeah so i'm i'm glad you brought it up and hopefully it takes the pressure of some people listening um so many people with you know endo pain and pelvic pain conditions i've heard this so much that um they're often told that certain exercises worse than others and i've had people message me saying oh you know my physio told me to stop doing this thing and it's my favorite thing it makes me happy i I don't really know what else to do have you got any ideas and obviously i'm not a physio so um i can't really i can say what i do but i can't really give um you know any advice on that um are there i mean are there any exercises that you do favor over other exercises for those of us with these conditions? Um, especially things like, you know, things that I hear being told are like no-goes are like running, spin, CrossFit, kind of very tightening exercises. And those are the ones I get questions about a lot. Um, so I was just wondering what your what your thoughts are on kind of um, this like, flat out no you shouldn't do those exercises and the ones that are better whether you have any thoughts about that yeah um i think that this is a this world of like checklists and black and white yes and no lists of things you can and cannot do are something that i think luckily people are kind of moving away from and i know i am because i do have videos and things like that from the past where i specifically about prolapse actually that i'm like do not do this if you have prolapse do not do this, if you have dice, you know, different conditions, don't do this, don't do that. But I think that let's bringing it specifically to pain and endo and IC. Um, I'm going to say that actually there are things that you need to be more, to be careful with certainly. But I think that especially as a person who loves exercise and I depend on movement and exercise for my own mental health mm-hmm. personally. And so I, I know that to be true for so many people. And So rather than saying yes and no, especially no (laughs) to anything, it's just a matter of how can you do it so that it suits your condition right now, the condition that you're, that you're dealing with right now. And so things like, um, yeah, things that tighten, things that require you to to tighten up a lot. So, um, CrossFit or even like long mat Pilates sessions where you're doing Pilates and you're really tightening up through the core for most of that class those can be problematic and and spinning, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, they can be problematic, but I would say they're not at all a hard stop. No, you can't do them. It's just a matter of learning how to have the willpower and the strength, mental strength, not just physical, but mental strength to maybe not keep up with your class, to maybe do it your own way. If you're in like a group fitness class or you're watching it on YouTube or whatever, you might need to do it differently than the instructor is showing. Right. And so you might need to include, take more rest breaks and not because you can't do the exercises, but because you need to build in rest breaks. So you're not engaging that pelvic floor, which is already tight. If you have pain, more than likely it's already tight. So you don't want to be engaging your pelvic floor and your core for an entire 45 minute Matt Pilates class. You're going to have to build in some breaks in that, in that session. Um, You know, you're going to, you're going to have to modify things a little bit in that way. And then you're also going to want to build in time after the workout to release and relax the muscles. So whether that means staying in the class or, you know, pushing pause on the video or whatever it is, you're going to have to build that in. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. Yeah. And I mean, we, um, we were just talking about this off, like, um, off the podcast, but there is, you know, there are exercises online on YouTube, um, 
I mean, they seem very popular. They seem very popular to me because I get recommendations for them all the time because I use them. But, you know, for workouts that offer like getting really good abs and like getting like a Brazilian butt, like that kind of thing, very kind of pumping, tightening, shredding kind of exercises. Now, a lot of them are quite short. They're like five to 10 minutes. And I was explaining to you that I've done those exercises kind of since my late teens all through my 20s and 32 now and I stopped doing them last year because my bladder pain got unbearable mm-hmm. um and I just didn't really know what to do anymore um and I've just started to get back into them um partly partly because I'm moving to Greece for a while um Ooh. and I was just like I can't like I really really want to get back to you know just trying to kind of get more confident in what I'm going to be wearing in summery clothes um and I think that's um totally normal and fine that some of us don't just want to do like slow yoga stretching some of us do want to we have some fitness goals or body confidence goals um so we were talking about two I sent you two videos as an example um and they were very much focusing on like shredded abs and and like bigger booty and toned thighs. So when they're like that and when they're short, what I'll do is I'll put, just to give people an example, I'll put these in the show notes so people know what we're talking about. But um, you said you had some uh, perspective on those and I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are in terms of doing a workout like that. So say like an isolated 10 minutes on abs and an isolated 10 minutes on your bum or your thighs versus a 45 minute Pilates class. Because what I do is, because I I work at a desk like all day, um, I actually don't do 30 minutes of exercise in one go. I actually do five minutes of exercise every like half hour or an hour. So I break my day up with movement um, to try and break up the sit-in. I do use the standing desk as as well. Um, so that's how I work out. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just curious to hear, yeah, your opinion on these videos and shorter timeframes. Yes. Okay. I love the shorter timeframes. I love it. I'm a big proponent of moving more throughout your day, every day. So rather than, you know, an hour long gym session or whatever it may be, although that's great if you want to do that, but breaking it up can even be more effective. And the way you're saying that you do it during your day is fantastic. I, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, in, in physical therapy school way back when for me, uh, we had what's called the 30, 30 rule. So every 30 minutes Mm -hmm. of sitting and taking notes and listening to lectures, we actually, we'd raise our hands as students. We'd be like 30, 30 rule to the professors because every 30 minutes we stood up and stretched our body in the opposite direction. So even if it's just as simple as, you know, a 30 second stretch break, every 30 mm. minutes, we would, we would move in the opposite direction. And I'm that 30, 30 rule stuck with me to this day. I, I love it. But I think that your idea of, you know, five minute walk break or exercise break is wonderful. I'd also encourage you. And by the way, I definitely want to get to these videos, but just to insert something else in on a personal note, you might want to add not just an exercise, like a five minute exercise break every 30 minutes Mm -hmm. to an hour, but also do your exercises and then do what I like to call the pelvic drop or a reverse kegel to kind of finish off your session. So instead of squeezing and lifting the pelvic floor, you're actually actively releasing and relaxing, which can take some practice. But once you have some practice, a lot of people can learn to to do that on command. So it's a reverse kegel, a pelvic drop yeah. after your workout. Yeah. 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 I actually, um, so in the mornings I, when I wake up, I do like, it's about 20 minutes of stretching that I learned from my pelvic floor physio, but I've not seen her for a year and a half because of COVID. So I, but I've still kept doing it. And then when I do, um, so I have a rebounder. So when I use that, I will do a couple of those stretches afterwards. And that includes like Charles pose where I'm breathing into my pelvis and sort of like releasing my pelvis. So my like sit bones are like separating out, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. Um, exactly. So is that the kind of pelvic drop you, you mean, or you mean the one where you sit and you kind of like release the pelvis? 
I was actually speaking more to literally an, an isolated in this situation, an isolated release of the pelvic floor, mm. which again, it, it, uh, it can be hard for some, some people might be like, uh, no, there's no way I can do that. And I understand that, but I do have some videos on YouTube that talk about okay. it. Um, so it's, it's just an easy way where you don't even need to be in a situation or be on a yoga mat. You can do it literally anywhere. I'm doing it right now <laughs> as, I, as, I, as we speak. So you can kind of like how you can do a kegel exercise, like the squeeze and lift yeah. of your pelvic floor. You can do that anywhere at a stoplight or whatever. Same with a pelvic drop or a reverse kegel is you can do it anywhere. But the other types of stretches that you're talking about, like the child's pose or puppy pose where you're releasing those sitting bones apart mm -hmm. is also wonderful. Um, just important to, to do something to release those pelvic floor muscles afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Amazing. Yeah. I'm going to check out those videos. Yeah. Check it out. And specifically regarding like these kind of like lift your butt workouts and shredded abs workouts. <clears throat> I think that they're, they're great. There's not, there's nothing wrong with them, but they're not necessarily designed for people with pain conditions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we do need to take these more kind of general all purpose workouts that are out there and put our own therapeutic spin on them when we have a, a, a health issue or a pelvic health, you know, issue. And one, one of the first things that I wanted to say about these types of videos that can be pretty intense and hardcore, even though maybe they're just like a five or 10 minute workout, there's usually no breaks. They usually just go right through. They usually, you know, work your muscles until you're really burning and then they go right on to the next exercise. Yeah. And so if that's happening and maybe, let's just say maybe somebody listening right now has had endo for a while or IC for a while, um, maybe they've, they've, they've just been learning to deal with it and they've gotten out of their regular workout routine. And so honestly, maybe their muscles are not quite as strong as they used to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're, if you're wanting to get back into fitness, it's not a great idea to just jump right into these workouts right away that can really burn your muscles out. They're, they're a lot. They're, mm. they're quite intense in, in many cases. And you, you may need to more slowly build up your glutes and your core muscles because when those muscles are weak, oftentimes your pelvic floor will overcompensate. And so that's a problem. Again, mm. if you're already tight in those pelvic floor muscles, and your pelvic floor is trying to kind of hold everything together from the center and it's overcompensating for weak core and butt muscles, that's going to be a big problem. And so, I mean, the first thing I'd say is I call it microdosing movement where whatever you think when you're just kind of getting back into fitness, whatever you think you should be able to do, do, do half of that. So even though it feels like, oh my God, really? You're telling me to go for like a, a three minute walk outside, <laughs> you know? I'm like, but yeah, really? Like if you think you should be able to do it a 10 minute walk without any, without any problem, like well, I should be able to do that. Then honestly, I would say start with a five minute walk. Or if you think you should do this five minute lift your butt workout, then maybe just do every other exercise, like do one of her, the exercises on the video. And then when she's doing the next set, take a break. Right. And then do the next exercise that, you know, do catch up and then mm -hmm. take it. Like, you know what I mean? So do half rather than just diving full on. Um, Cause you probably need to build up in order not to over aggravate your pelvic floor. Um, so that's one piece of it. And, you know, specifically if you are going to put these, I'm not picking on these videos at all that you sent me They're They're fun workouts, but like, will you put them in the show notes so that yeah, I can... I'll put them in the okay. show notes? Yeah. Okay. Cause I thought there were good examples um, yeah. that I haven't actually been using those ones specifically. They're too intense. I, I know they're too intense for me. I've been using these two others, but they are the general kind of thing that I'm talking about. And I use her stuff all the time. Um, yeah. and she's hardcore. She yeah. really goes for it. She does. She does. And so again, that, that's the first thing is to just a general statement is to, is to build up and have the mental strength to, <laughs> and willpower to not keep up with mm. this type of trainer. Um, so specifically about the lift your butt in 14 day workout, um, there's, again, there's no breaks in between the moves and there's also no encouragement to stretch and release the muscles after. And no, so both of yeah, those, I've noticed yeah. That. Yeah. And, and I know how it is like as a person who does YouTube videos and that stuff as well, like it's, it's not meant to be therapeutic. It's just a general workout. Like you don't know who you're talking to yeah. and I get it. But again, 
for the population that you know, is listening to your, to your podcast, you need to advocate for yourself and empower yourself to make this safe for you. And so because there's no breaks between, because there's no encouragement to stretch after it's too activating for pain. It just is. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to need to modify that one. Um, the shredded abs in seven days video. Um, it's about 11 minutes and all of the moves for this video that I, if, if I remember right, I did it. Um, all of the moves are pretty much in a hip flexion position. So there's a lot of flexion at the hips, flexion of the core and the trunk mm -hmm. for this abs workout. It's like pure flexion exercises. There's no hip extension to reverse it. So when you're doing 11 minutes straight of like hip flexion and, and trunk flexion exercises, that's really activating that red light reflex. So okay. the, the hip flexors, the abs, the pelvic floor, they're all getting even more activated in that type of workout. And so first of all, there's no breaks. So you need to add some breaks. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely include some opposition with the antagonist muscle group, which is like the butt muscles. So I would add in a couple of bridge exercises, for example, like right. for all of those ab workout, those, those ab moves, I would take a couple breaks. And then maybe when she's doing one of the ab moves, instead of doing her, one of her ab moves, I would do some bridge, bridge, uh, hip lift type exercises where you're really lifting your hips up off the floor, working mm -hmm. the backside of your body. And that's going to help kind of balance things out. Okay. And that's sort of like, is that also kind of stretching out the the hip flexors where you've been kind of tightening them because you're exactly. kind of pushing up yeah. right yeah okay. yeah so it's going to be stretching out the front hip flexor ab pelvic floor area that's been so active for that 11 minutes mm -hmm. and it's also going to be balancing it with strength of the of the butt muscles which by the way it's really important to strengthen those butt muscles when your pelvic floor is tight because mm -hmm. just in general the glutes help to balance out an overactive tight pelvic floor so yeah, I'm all for the booty moves. Okay. <laughs> all for them. Yeah. Because I get really, that's one thing that I get confused about because I hear, I heard this, like strengthen your bum muscles. Um, and I, I'm quite petite. I have quite a, a big bum for my size. So I always like work it out. And I've always worried like, but am I making my my bladder pain worse by like tightening my bum muscles because until you know until I guess the past couple of years I really wasn't I wasn't stretching um you know and I would do when I was very obsessive when I was younger I had an eating disorder when I was younger I'd literally go <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this out loud I'd put on a movie and I would just go on my exercise bike and just do spin for like the duration of the movie. And some of those movies were like two hours long. And yeah. then I wouldn't stretch afterwards. And what I notice is that if, um, if I ever kind of push down on my glutes, if I like, you know, if I push now on my glutes with my finger, they hurt and they hurt bad. And with a foam roller, it's, you know, it's like, oh, stop when you get a trigger point and allow the muscle to melt over the foam roller. It's like, mm -hmm. well, I'm just stopping all the time. Even though I'm doing a lot of um, releasing, um, a lot of stretching now, um, I may potentially have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, like I'm having that looked into at the moment. So I don't know if that's contributing to the pain, but I guess like um, that's just always been something that's confused me because I have worried that the tightness you know, of my glute muscles is contributing to some, maybe some of the pain, but then also I know that it's really important to keep them strong. So, um, I guess it's just the balance of releasing the balance. them. Yeah, exactly. It's the middle path. You know, it's always about the middle, the middle path, the middle way, and you do want to keep them strong. You definitely do, uh, to help balance out and counteract that tight, tight pelvic floor. And just for, for stability and core support and for functional, you know, activities of daily life, like being able to walk and keep your balance and go up and down stairs and lift things and sit to stand and all of that, you really do need those strong butt muscles. Also going back to what I was saying before, that if your glutes and your other core muscles and hip muscles are weak, your pelvic floor can, again, it can overcompensate by tightening mm -hmm. up too much. So yes, you want to strengthen those muscles, but I think balancing it with a bit more stretching, a bit more, um, you know, not, not two hours on the exercise bike <laughs> without, without stretching afterwards. Now that you know better, you can do better. Yeah, crazy girl. 
really was. I, I think a lot of people can relate to that though. I know that I can, to be honest with you. I was a big runner and I felt like it was not a good workout unless I ran and I would never stretch afterwards. Mm. So it's really common to, to do that. But again, we live and we learn. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do feel like my glutes are still like paying for those years because like, they are they are so painful sometimes um so okay so the booty workouts are great but just keep doing like take breaks release you know do the stretches um and so I guess um I mean we've, we've looked through those videos but on the flip side are there some exercises um that you really love for pelvic pain and also what are the I guess a lot of us get scared of um exercising with pelvic pain I know that that's where I was that's why I stopped last year um but what are some of the benefits for people with pelvic pain of these types of exercises that you really love and just movement in general yeah I mean movement what you just said there, movement in general is so good for your mental health. I mean, mm. that is key. It, it helps uh, with your mental cognitive functioning, like how you think, uh, how your memory is, how fresh and active and vital and vibrant and you know energetic you feel in your brain and also helps with those endorphins that are released when you do some kind of active movement just make you feel happier. Yeah. And we need that when we have pain and we need that when we have the the ups and downs of pain issues like I see in endometriosis, where again, you're never necessarily sure how you're going to feel one day to the next. And that's stressful. And mm. so anything you can do to um, move your body more is going to be great. And so I'd say two of my favorite things are walking. And this is a personal preference. Not everybody loves walking, but it's just such a lovely exercise, especially if you can go outside in nature. Yeah is ideal. You know, that forest bathing, getting the, literally the, the energy from the trees and the nature around you is so healing and yeah. so therapeutic. And so getting that movement, maybe unplugging, getting into the present moment, maybe if you're a spiritual person, you know, talking to your source or higher power, whatever may be there is, is helpful on so many levels. So walking is great. I love dance parties. I love just moving my body in different ways and like having fun and you can just fit it in to little cracks of time throughout your day. So walking and dancing, I mean, I kind of avoid, um, especially when you're healing. I mean, I, I personally encourage people to move, but to maybe avoid, avoid things that are going to aggravate their condition. So avoid, if you know that running currently aggravates your condition. Again, it's not that running is bad or spin mm -hmm. class is bad. It's just that you might need to modify it right now. Like we talked about earlier or find alternatives that are going to make you feel great and not put you in a symptom zone. Yeah. So you want to stay in that symptom free zone as much as you can. And I think walking and dance are wonderful. And then uh, as far as like stretches, I think two of my favorite stretches are definitely child's pose and puppy pose. I love those two. Yeah. They're I really like public pose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really so good. Any, my shoulders. Any, exactly. The shoulders and which get so tight along with the pelvic floor. And then any, any of those poses where you can really think about kind of blossoming those sitting bones apart and shining the sitting bones back and apart from one another is really key for letting the, sitting, the pelvic floor relax. Okay. Amazing. That's so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, you you do talk about this in your in your videos so people can watch your videos um but are there any kind of i don't know if i'm saying this right but is there like a correct form to hold whilst we're um exercising that's going to protect our bodies because you know like i was explaining about that breathing one of the techniques that was taught was um when you instead of just holding your tummy in like I'm not sure if it was in the um workout videos that I sent you but one that I'm doing for my arms at the moment she's always like core tight core tight and in contrast the um pelvic floor one that I did she was saying it's not about sucking your tummy in it's more about um when you breathe out you allow it to draw your belly button in as you breathe out rather than you're forcing your belly button in your breathing your belly you're 
breathing out and your belly button goes in and that activates the core muscles whilst you're working out. So I guess on like in repeti- um, repetition with like repetitive movements on like, I can't think how it would go, but maybe when you're squatting, you'd be like, yeah. you know, breathing out and holding, you know, activating your core. Um, so that kind of thing, is there like a form that you you think can be helpful? Yeah. So basically I like to, I know exactly what you're saying here and I'll tell you the way I describe it. And again, I don't want this to confuse anyone or to have anyone be like, oh my gosh, now I'm stressed out. But to make it simple, I I always tell people don't suck in the belly. We don't want to suck in those upper abs that can overactivate those upper abs. Mm -hmm. And it can actually put a lot of downward pressure on your pelvic floor, which can kind of feed into like prolapse and bladder issues. So I say, don't suck in. You want to zip up when you're trying to make your core tight or stabilize your core. You want to zip up your core. That's what I call it. So the Mm -hmm. idea is a gentle lift of your pelvic floor muscles and then, and a gentle drawing in of your low abs, like that area right above your pubic bone. Yeah. So don't suck in, zip up. That's one little refrain that I use, but like when to do it, which is really what you're asking is when to do this. So if you're coupling that zipping up with your breathing, which is great to do, you can kind of uh, really naturally feel a zip up as I call it on an exhalation when mm-hmm. you breathe out you can feel that zip up because naturally when you exhale, your breathing diaphragm lifts and your pelvic floor lifts as well and your, and your belly comes in. So that's, that's a zip up. Mm-hmm. So the thing is though, I, I like to consider this type of breathing in different, in different styles and different situations. Like for example, if you're just living your daily life, if like right now, if you're just sit uh, hanging around, sitting around or walking around, or even going for like a 45 minute run or 30 minute run or something like that. You don't want to be actively zipping up and thinking about that the entire time. So you want to just breathe normally, like breathe in that way, but you don't need to be actively zipping up or actively tightening your core in that way. Um, so, so there's just like relaxed breathing. And then there's what I call mobility breathing and active breathing. So it's just my own terms. Don't, <laughs> don't get too, don't get too caught up in it, but I call mobility breathing when you're really more actively, you, you know, using that, that inhale and release, and then the exhale zip up. And you could do that. For example, every time you squat, when you squat down, you mm-hmm. can release the pelvic floor. When you stand up and straighten up, you can exhale and you can feel that zip up happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's, so like you're doing one rep per breath. And that's like an active breathing style. Mm-hmm. Again, I would never encourage someone to like <laughs> do that with every like stride of their run or every stride of their walk or something like that. It's more for like a set of squats or something like that. Um, the other time you can use that is when you're like lifting something, lifting a, a like lifting a box off of the floor or something. You want to zip up your core and exhale as you're lifting that box. Now, if you're doing a set of exercises where you need to have a lot of core control the entire time. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're lifting, you're doing biceps curls or like lifting arm weights. You're going to want to zip up your core and you're going to hold it. You're going to hold that zip for stability and control. So you're going to have to breathe a little higher. I don't want, still don't want you breathing in your neck and shoulders and all that, but it will have to be a little higher because you're keeping that nice, strong zipped up core the whole time as you're breathing and, and doing your bicep curls or whatever. And then when you're done with your set, you release the weights and then you release that zip and you let yes. it go. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? This makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. good. Good, yeah. good, good. Cause I've always wondered about that. I, I struggle to, um, coordinate the kind of breathing, zipping up and the movements together. Like I, like I love to dance, but yeah. And I'm, I'm actually like, naturally I'm a good dancer, but I can't follow a dance video for the life of me. Like I can't do a dance. I'm not very, there's something, there's like a disconnect in my brain. Like I can't coordinate a couple of different things at the same time. So that really froze me. So it's kind of helpful. And especially when it's something like that, when I'm like, well, but I'm a, but it feels like I need to have my core zipped up all the time. But then if I'm doing this breathing thing, it doesn't, yeah. it, you know, so that that's actually really helpful for me to hear that. I think that you're a lot like me. I'm the same way. I love dancing, but I don't do well, like 
following somebody else's dance moves or like trying to learn a specific routine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really hard for me. And I'm, I'm more of a feeler. I'm more of a body person. I want to feel it in my body. Yes. So having some basic, you know, I'm, I'm going to say rules in air quotes, like they're, you know, there's some basic groundwork and then just feeling how it feels in different situations is going to be really helpful because you'll know, okay, this is a time when I can zip with every rep, Mm -hmm. uh, or this is a time when I probably should be zipped up the whole time because I need that extra stability and control. And then of course, keep breathing. And then with something like, if you're going to just have a dance party by yourself, like going back to that example, Mm -hmm. don't even honestly, (laughs) don't even worry about zipping. Just dance your ass off. I don't know if I can say that. Dan- yeah. Oh dance- my God. Yeah. Dance- I swear all okay. the time. It's fine. <laughs> dance, your, dance your ass off. Have fun. Don't worry about naturally your muscles are going to contract. They're going to relax. They're going to stretch. Dancing is literally like the best thing you can do for your pelvic floor. Like the best. Wow. So don't, okay. think, don't think about zipping, just dance, have fun. Okay. That sounds amazing. And is it okay if like, if I'm doing squats one day, I do them quite a lot and I'm just like, oh my God, I can't coordinate my breath and the zip up. Is it okay to have, is it okay to zip up throughout the squats or is it better for me to do the kind of breathing with it and like releasing, zipping up, releasing? Yeah. You know, you can, well, I would say for you, for somebody with pelvic pain, um, if you're going to stay zipped up the whole time, you totally can. Absolutely. But you're just going to have to know then, okay, if I did these, this set of squats for uh, a minute for 90 seconds Mm -hmm. or something like that, then, okay, my pelvic floor was really activated for a full 90 seconds. So I'm going to probably want to put my, you know, take a break from this and relax and release. Uh, rather than if you were able to kind of let go a bit between as you squat down, release the pelvic floor just a bit and then reactivate, then that's going to naturally give you that little bit of a break between each rep. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of a balance. You, you don't have to, you know, let go, but it really just depends on the person and the move. Mm, No, that makes total sense. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Um, And last question. I mean, for someone with, you know, one of these conditions or all of these conditions, is there an amount of time that we should be, you know, aiming for in terms of movement each week? Or is it more just go with what feels good for you? And are there times that we should be taking it easy and and resting? Yeah, I mean, it's really encouraged to do 30 minutes to 45 minutes of even 30 minutes to an hour of kind of active activity each day. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's again, where you can break that up. That's wonderful to break it up, but it doesn't have to be like, again, a gym session. You can, you can do different forms of, of activity throughout your day, but that's just a general protective measure for heart health and for joint health and for your muscles and, and all of that. So you do want to move every day. Um, I would say though, especially as women, we do need to listen to our cycles. We mm-hmm. are cyclical creatures and you don't want to push yourself in times when your body is telling you that, you know, my period's about to start. And I know with endometriosis, of course, this is, there's, there's a lot of days where there's ups and downs, like I was saying earlier. So you want to give yourself that grace on those days when you're just really feeling like, you know, it's a, it's a harder time for you to move. Don't push yourself on those days, yes. you know, still move your body but find different ways that are more supportive of the, you know, the cycle that you're in. So yeah, yeah m- maybe it's yin yoga or some other type of uh, like hip circles or gentle, gentle dance, gentle stretches, a gentle stroll. And um, yeah, that's my, that's my thought there. No, I love that. That's perfect. Um, okay. Brian, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, is where can people find your work? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, well, Femme Fusion Fitness is still my my name on even though vibrantpelvichealth.com is my main website that mm-hmm. has my courses and my programs. Um, that's vibrantpelvichealth.com. But femfusionfitness.com will still get you everything you need to, to know about me. Um, I'm Femme Fusion Fitness on Instagram and also on YouTube and Facebook and all the places. So yeah, Femme Fusion Fitness is, is me. And I have a ton of, of playlists also. Um, I maybe 
would you like me to give you some links after? That would be wonderful. Yeah. I can give you some specific links that might be interesting for your audience as well. I have, I actually have a great little gentle workout for endometriosis and I have a uh, great workout for period pain and days when you're having a, you know, needing a slower workout. I have all sorts of videos that might be fun for your listeners. Okay. That's so helpful. Thank you. I did your, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it was like, a core workout, but for people with pelvic like pain. So like there was a release yeah. between every single one. Yes, so, yeah. yes, I love that one. I'll I try really to remember to it. put that one on there too. Yeah, it was really good. Okay, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I have learned so much and I think that my audience are going to be really grateful that I finally had you on because they can stop sending me questions <laughs> and get real answers from a professional um, who, yeah, is trained in, in fitness and physio. So thank you so much for coming on and answering my many, many questions. That's wonderful. Well, I'm so happy to to have been here. And um, yeah, just let anyone can reach out to me anytime. And uh, I'm, I'm always there to answer questions. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.